Hi, Rebels. This Financial Literacy Month, Rebel Girls teamed up with Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families, to bring you everything you need to be smart with your money and to build healthy habits that last a lifetime. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to make smart choices with every penny, whether you're saving for something special or learning to invest. Greenlight gives kids the power to be independent and grown-ups can trust that their kids have money wherever they are. Sign up at greenlight.com slash rebelgirls to get your first month at no cost and start building money confidence for life. Once upon a time, there was a girl who thought every child should have the chance to learn. Her name is Malala. Malala's family lived in a small house in the Swat Valley in northern Pakistan, where rivers flowed crystal clear and mountains jutted up along the horizon. Malala's father, Ziauddin, was a school principal in the city of Mangora. As a little girl, Malala often stood in front of empty classrooms, pretending to teach. When she was old enough, she proudly put on a white and blue uniform and headed to school herself. But in the 2000s, a new, strict political group called the Taliban started to take over Malala's city. They said many things were wrong, like music, movies, dancing, and girls' schools. Malala was worried that they would close her school. So each night when she went to bed, she prayed, Please God, tell me what to do. I'm a small girl, but maybe you have a small job for me. Little did Malala know, her small voice would grow loud and strong and would one day echo around the world. I'm Zainab Salbi, and this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, a fairy tale podcast about the rebel women who inspire us. On this episode, the education activist and Nobel Peace Prize laureate Malala Yousafzai. When Malala was growing up, she loved pizza, the color pink, and her two younger brothers, even though they fought all the time. More than anything, though, Malala loved school. She read stacks of books. She gave speeches in class and scribbled out answers to math problems. Her bedroom wall was lined with glimmering trophies celebrating her achievements. Malala wanted to be a doctor, and she knew that required a lot of studying. So in 2007, when the Taliban took over her hometown of Mangora, Malala became very afraid. In other places, the Taliban had blown up girls' schools to keep girls from studying. They also attacked people who said anything against them. Then, in December 2008, the thing Malala feared came true. 
the Taliban said all girls' schools in Mangora had to close the next month. Malala's heart ached. How could she ever become a doctor if she didn't go to school? So, at 11 years old, Malala decided to tell her story. Malala's parents worried about her safety, but her father was convinced even the Taliban wouldn't hurt a child. Malala spoke to local newspapers and television stations. In the days before her school closed, she even wrote a secret diary for the BBC, a news station in the United Kingdom. Soon, people across the world read about Malala and the dangerous things happening in Swat. But even though Malala's word rang out around the world, she couldn't keep trouble from coming to Mangora. In 2009, the Pakistani government brought their troops to the city to fight the Taliban. Malala often went to sleep to the cracking sounds of gunfire and the resounding booms of shelling. But eventually, the Pakistani army pushed the Taliban out of her town. When the dust settled, slowly, things started to return to normal. And most importantly, Malala went back to school. Within a few years after this conflict, safety seemed to have returned to Mangora's streets. The city's winding roads bust with scooters and rickshaws. Children played cricket outside. Shopkeepers reopened their businesses. And Malala's mother, Tour Pikai, was no longer afraid of going to the market alone. Malala was 15 years old. She laughed and gossiped with her friends, and she studied hard every night. But even though the Taliban had retreated from Mangora, their shadow hung over the city like a veil. Malala continued to speak out about girls' education and working toward peace. Ziauddin spoke out too. Because of this, he sometimes received threatening notes. Then, one day, on the internet, Ziauddin found something that made his heart leap into his throat. The Taliban had threatened Malala's life. Maybe we should stop our campaigning for a while, Ziauddin told Malala, tears welling up in his eyes. But Malala shook her head. Something big had grown up inside her, a powerful force, a calling that made her fearless. She remembered how her father had always stood up for his beliefs, even in the worst days of the Taliban's presence. Malala summoned some of her father's courage as she looked steadily back at him. Abba, you are the one who said if we believe in something greater than our lives, then our voices will only multiply, even if we are dead, she said. We can't stop now. Later, though, 
She wondered what she would do if someone from the Taliban attacked her. She imagined smacking him with her shoe. But if she used violence, she realized she would be just like him. You must not treat others with cruelty, she told herself. You must fight them with peace. A few months later, Malala bounced along the streets of Mangora as she rode the bus home from school. She laughed and sang and chatted with the other girls. Suddenly, the bus stopped and two men with guns climbed aboard. Who is Malala? One of the men asked gruffly. Some of the girls glanced in Malala's direction. Three loud cracks splintered the air. Malala's world went black. When Malala awoke, she didn't know where she was. She didn't know how long she had been asleep. The world around her looked blurry. And when the strangers in her room talked to her, some in English and some in her own language of Urdu, it was like they were speaking from the end of a far away tunnel. Malala had a tube in her throat, and when she moved her head, sharp pain shot across her brain. She suddenly realized she was in a hospital. She tried to talk to the nurses and doctors, but couldn't because of the tube in her throat. A nurse wrote the alphabet out on a piece of paper, and pointing to each letter, Malala spelled out, Father and country. The doctor says she was in Birmingham, England, and her father was safe in Pakistan. Her family would visit soon. Over the following days, Malala pieced together what had happened. The two men on the bus were a part of the Taliban, and they had heard of Malala's efforts to promote girls' education. They had shot her. She had almost died. Malala had been taken to multiple hospitals in Pakistan before she was finally flown to a hospital in Birmingham that specialized in the care she needed. The Pakistani government was paying for it, they told her. She couldn't believe her ears. What's going on? She wondered. How does the Pakistani government even know what happened to me? But it wasn't just the Pakistani government that knew Malala's story now. Everyone did. News of her shooting has spread across the globe. And as Malala recovered, staff at the hospital handed her thousands of letters from people around the world. Celebrities tweeted their hope for Malala's recovery. When Malala's family arrived, the president of Pakistan visited them there at the hospital. And the Secretary General of the United Nations, an important international organization, said Malala's next birthday, July 12, 2013, would be Malala Day at the UN. Malala was amazed to receive so much support. 
she couldn't wait to go home and tell her best friend she had gotten messages from famous American movie stars. But Malala couldn't go home just yet. She still had trouble moving the muscles in her face. She couldn't hear well in her left ear. The doctors told her she needed more surgeries. Even though her family was now with her, Birmingham felt strange. The skies were gray and the days were chilly. Malala missed Mangora. She missed the noise and laughter of the friends and family who used to gather in their home. She missed watching the sunset paint the horizon into bold oranges and purples. Most of all, though, she missed her friends. After a few more operations, Malala was finally able to hear again, and she could almost smile like she used to. The President of Pakistan gave Zia Deen a special government job in Birmingham. Malala was grateful, but her gratitude was bittersweet. She knew then they couldn't go home, not for a long, long time. It just wasn't safe anymore. I have to tell you about my friend Penelope. She is hilarious. She only eats cheese doodles and canned beans and she loves to sing and fly through walls. Wait, did I tell you that Penelope is my imaginary friend? Well, she is, but she's totally real to me. Anywho, Penelope and I are very excited because there's a new movie coming out on May 17 all about imaginary friends. It's called IF, which stands for Imaginary Friends. Pretty cool, am I right? IF is so much fun with lovable fuzzy giants and bright new galaxies. It stars Kaylee Fleming as B a girl who discovers that she can see everyone else's ifs. Meanwhile, Cal, played by Ryan Reynolds, can also see ifs. Together, they team up and go on a magical adventure to reconnect forgotten ifs with their kids. If is from the brilliant mind of writer-director John Krasinski. It also stars John Krasinski, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Maya Rudolph, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Emily Blunt, Aquafina, and Steve Carell, just to name a few. It celebrates the incredible power of curiosity and creativity, and it's definitely a laugh-out-loud adventure for the whole family. If comes out in theaters starting May 17th and is guaranteed to knock your socks off. What? Oh, Penelope says she wears two pairs of socks at all times. Also, that imaginary friends get limitless refills on popcorn. So join us in the theater on May 17. Bring your imaginary friends too. Nine months after the shooting, on her 16th birthday, Malala stepped up to a podium in the United Nations headquarters in New York City, dressed in her favorite pink outfit and headscarf. The room was packed with diplomats and almost 1,000 youth activists from around the world. 
As Malala spoke, the audience hung on her every word. Malala Day is not my day, she said. Today is the day of every woman, every boy, and every girl who have raised their voice for their rights. Malala told the story of what happened nine months before. They thought that the bullet would silence us, but they failed. And out of that silence came thousands of voices. The terrorists thought that they would change my aims and stop my ambitions. But nothing changed in my life except this. Weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. Strength, power, and courage was born. When Malala finished, the room erupted in applause. And in the front row, her father beamed at her and her mother wiped tears from her eyes. As Malala took her seat, she remembered all the prayers she'd said as a child, that she could make the world a better place, do something to help, and even to grow taller. Smiling, Malala realized God had answered her prayers. She'd maybe only grown an inch, but she felt as tall as the sky. In the months and years that followed her speech at the UN, Malala's words continued to resonate across the globe. And slowly, she and her family made their small brick house in Birmingham into their new home. Malala went to school like other girls in her neighborhood. She enjoyed her classes, but sometimes it was hard to understand her new friend's jokes. In a lot of ways, she wasn't like other girls at her school. She was busy starting a new charity with her father called the Malala Fund, which helps girls and children from all over the world go to school. And she crisscrossed the globe making speeches, giving interviews, and advocating for girls' rights and world peace. She even wrote a book. One day, in 2014, Malala was in the middle of chemistry class when the deputy head teacher called her into the hallway. Am I in trouble? She wondered. The deputy head teacher told Malala some exciting news. Malala had been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, a very serious award given to people who make the world a better place. At 17, Malala was the youngest person ever to receive it. Malala's eyes widened in astonishment. The school made an impromptu assembly in Malala's honor where Malala made a brief speech. And then Malala went right back to class. Now, a university graduate, Malala continues to raise her voice advocating for education for every boy and every girl in the world, and peace in every home, every street, every village, every country. 
Still, she says she's a girl like any other. She likes pop music. She fights with her brothers. She hates waking up early in the mornings, and she still loves the color pink. And just like her, Malala believes each of us can make a difference, no matter where we come from, or how ordinary or extraordinary we think we might be. As she said in her speech at the UN, "One child, one teacher, one book, and one pen." Can change the world. This podcast is a production of Rebel Girls. It's based on the book series "Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls." Executive producer is Tati Springer. This episode was produced, sound designed, and mixed by Isaac Kaplan Wilner. A big thank you to the whole Rebel Girls team who make this show possible. This episode was written by Alexis Stratton, proofread by Ariana Rosas. It was narrated by Zainab Selby, who we will get to know better on Thursday's episode. Original theme music was composed and performed by Electra Barjaki. For more, visit rebelgirls.com. Until next time, stay rebel. Thanks for listening to this episode, Rebels. Did you know there's a whole world of Rebel Girls to explore? Go to rebelgirls.com/more to check out our latest books, t-shirts, crafting kits, and well, more. Visit rebelgirls.com/more. Until next time, stay rebel.